a Podcast One production. Hello, my name is Gary Megan and this is A Plate to Call Home, where we explore the unknown stories behind the food that we all love. My guest today has been working in the media industry for over 30 years, which is no mean feat, let me tell you that. But what I didn't know is she is a massive foodie and even written a range of cookbooks. She's also got five kids who she cooks for almost every single night, and as far as I'm concerned, that deserves an award just for that. She played the iconic Brooke Vandenberg on Frontline. She's also part of the production house Working Dog with her husband, Rob Sitch. And if you're thinking The Late Show, The Castle, The Dish, now you're getting a sense of who I'm talking about. She's now one half of the Kennedy Malloy team with Mick Malloy on Triple M. So take a listen to the delightful Jane Kennedy. All right, Jane Kennedy, I was excited to get you in. Well, I was excited excited to to be... I'm going, what the... Why? I'm asked to be on your podcast. Well, normally the normally the criteria is that all you do in life is food, but you do lots of other things. But food but is very, very, very important to me. I know and that. always has been. And I never realised that because over the years, and I came to Australia a long time ago, but I remember you through, you know, the degeneration uh, particularly, um, and I never thought of you over various things that you've done, yeah. whether it's working dog or whatever, that you're a, you're a foodie. And then I found out you wrote cookbooks and I went, hey, really? <laughs> Tell me more. Well, Matt Preston and I are very competitive with our cookbook, uh, how many we've written. I think you've written. He's oh, surpassed no, he's beaten me. you now. He's beaten you now. I know. So yep. four? Have you written four? I've written four. Yep. And the process for writing the cookbooks was very cathartic. The first one, to be honest, I'd had five children very quickly and uh, twins at the end. Yeah. Uh, we had three well, children and then Well twins. done, what a surprise. Yes, that was just a really exciting day when we found that out. We had five children under the age of six, Gary. So sleep, well, that was not big on my agenda. I wasn't getting a lot. I was awake at night. And food I'd always loved. Um, and at the same time, my body had been going, I used to say it was like a piano accordion, in and out and in and out each time I was pregnant. And it was playing havoc with my figure. And I loved food. I thought, how on earth am I not going to be Mama Cass all my life? Right. And I've, what do I do? And I started thinking about food and how I could eat it in a good way that was going to work for my body. And I started writing down recipes and then people invariably come over and I'd start to serve them these meals and they go, that was really tasty. But it didn't feel boomba. It didn't feel mm. heavy. I said, oh, yeah, that's because I haven't given you a shitload of rice. Yeah, and lots of fat. And fat and no Sugar. bread. <laughs> and they go, but why does it taste all right? I said, oh, you know, because I had chilli and herbs and limes and lemons and things like that. And they go, yeah. can I have that recipe? Blah, blah. Long story short, you should write a cookbook. Oh, it can be a long story. We don't mind. <laughs> really? Yeah, I don't. We can oh, sit here for ages and talk about in the you know, cooking. and. So that's how I got my first cookbook and uh, it was called Fabulous Food minus the boom bar because it's a word my sister and I used to use yeah. to, uh, Whenever we'd eat something delicious like a chicken pie. It was Boomba. But this, mm. it, it's politically incorrect now, but it would have been Fatty Boomba, wouldn't it? Of course. Well, my nickname from, uh, I grew up, uh, I went to a Catholic girls' convent. Uh, my best friend, Pia Borghese, from family, uh, whose father was Italian and he used to cook up every Saturday to peppers uh, with olive oil. And uh, I'd go, what the hell's this? Yeah. Uh, he would go to Capecchi's, which was a butcher in Victoria in Kew and specialised in veal. And he would cook that up. And all the Borghese girls were skinny and wanted Vegemite sandwiches on white bread. And I was like his joy. He goes, hello, we finally got a girl who appreciates my food. But I became known in that household as Fat Ken. Uh, yeah. yeah, so again, I could now claim bullying. <laughs> I was going to say, joyfully inspirational. It was inspirational. <laughs> did a lot for your self-esteem. It did. And then how many years later it manifested itself in a book. Yes. With Boombar in the title. Being self-deprecating. So what, and did that help? Does self-deprecation help? Oh, always it does. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of body image issues that, um, you know, not only women go through, that men go through as well. Yeah. And particularly today, I just read a statistic where gyms have gone bonkers again with guys going in there. Yeah. And I feel like saying, lift as many weights as you want, mate. It what's goes, is what goes in your gob. Yeah. 
So, and that's what it is. It is. It's what you eat. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, I can't eat everything I want to eat. I try uh, and I lapse. I'm in a lapse period at the moment. <laughs> uh, but I know that I can sort of, you know, and, and the beauty of food is and fresh food that we have available now, you can really do fabulous meals. Yeah. I, I have, I've used excuses for years. So my, my, one is, my one is cuddly. I go much well, more cuddly. Well, you know that that's, you know, you know we love dads, cuddly dads. Well, that, well that's the, that's the <laughs> self-deprecating part of it. Then yep. the reality is you turn sideways in the mirror and go, Jesus, <laughs> well, don't, where did that come from? Don't ever turn sideways, Gary. <laughs> Always look straight on and lean straight forward. Straight on that is actually and big the, smile. And that's the Matt Preston way, actually. <laughs> Every photo that he takes, I think he, he yeah. leans forward a little bit. He taught me that one. Did he? Uh, yeah. Don't, don't worry. Matt's got all the tricks He's, up his sleeve. I've known him for a very long time, he too. He does have all the tricks. So if I can rewind the clock then, yes. you know, because you, you, we skimmed over very quickly about this food experience we when did. you were little. Mm. So does that mean that the family you grew up in was uh, was fairly simple? Was it roast dinner? Was it lamb? And, it was. You know, um, three veg on, on the weekend? Well, it's actually, it, ta- <clears throat> it took a little twist. We were very much um, corned beef and roast lamb and on Friday, Good Friday, it was whiting. That was a special treat. Wow. Uh, with uh, potato gems, and I never knew. Every time we'd have whiting and potato gems on Good Friday only. Oh, so once a year. <laughs> once a year. Because oh, I was going to say that's quite extravagant. Because <laughs> whiting is. now is really. I know, expensive. and it was expensive in the seventies, yeah. and we would have a salad done differently only for Good Friday as well. Mum would use vinegar and oil, which was delicious. The rest of the week we would have salad. I realise now with craft dressing. Which right. is revolting. No, sorry to craft, but in those days it was just sugar, with and it was sort of had a very strange viscosity about it. Yeah. It was kind of it blobs out. Yeah, xanthan so gum probably. That's really, probably Carrot is yes something. Some kind of thickener gum. Something gross. Oh, gum. Gross. Well, it helps suspension of ingredients. For yeah, those well, it's suspended taste as well. Yeah. So, um, okay, I finally, after many years, I say to mum, "Why can't we have fit whiting?" More than once a year. And she goes, oh, but then, then it just wouldn't be the same. We wouldn't have the treat of Good Friday. I think that every time we have turkey at Christmas, because that's the only time I cook a turkey as well, and everybody goes, why don't we have turkey more often? We're stuck in those traditions, yeah. which is funny and hard to move. But, yes, it was very uh, – we went through a phase. Uh, once a week we had ham, steak and pineapple. That was a very 70s dish. So is but, that like you know, gammon steak? Is that what we're talking yes, about? Yes, uh, it's that oval shape. Yeah. I don't and mind that. Literally the ring of pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> Out of a tin? Of course. Yeah, quality. So mum was a so, plain cook? She oh, was. Sorry, we can go off in lots you of You can different, go in different directions? I'll, oh, just, I'll just drag you back into okay, the I'll ham steak I'll tell you what happened. Moment. After the ham steak and our <laughs> other meals, mum went and heard about, a girlfriend of hers had a cordon bleu cooking course up the road. Mary King was her name. And mum went for a few weeks and took a little exercise book and came back, but hadn't cooked anything. She'd come back every week and go, how was it mum? And I was really fascinated. She said, oh, it was terrific. And she said, well, I'm waiting to have my first dinner party so I can test them out. And I know, and I remember the exact meal was the first dinner party that she cooked. Because then my sister and I ended up cooking the dinner parties for mum and dad. How old were you? I was about 12. Okay. So responsible. I was I was responsible when I was three, handle, Gary. Sharp knife. I am a very responsible person. <laughs> annoyingly, responsible okay. child syndrome. I'm the eldest, one sister, three years younger. What's the most responsible thing you've ever done as a you did as a child, other than cook that dinner? Well, I was just told. You're just in charge. Annoyingly in charge anno- for the rest not, of your no, family. No, not really. Just very calm and actually felt a bit more. I always felt a bit um, more mature than. I think even at kindergarten, I thought even the teachers were a bit idiotic. <laughs> it's not very respectful, is it? But I just always felt mature as a child. And mum and dad must have picked this up. And we lived through the great period of dinner parties. They would have two a week, Friday and Saturday night. Everyone was pissed, like full on before they ate. So it was the gin and tonics and the brandy and dry, the full neck beers, full strength, of course. And, and mum and dad were very generous hosts and my sister and I were the waitresses. What a great example to set as your children. Well, children, I'm trying to enforce that in my yeah. household and I have. <laughs> I, we've had dinner parties and the kids bring out the shaky plates. Yeah, you know how the kids yeah. shake a bit when they serve it. 
And I said, oh, mummy needs a top-up, please. I mean, it's so un-PC. I can't say yeah. that, really, but I've just said it. But I like it. And I'll it was say, the yeah. 70s, so we're probably it talking... It was the 70s, mid, yes. Mid-70s? 70. So everyone was wearing 74. flares and platforms oh, and yeah. bright Music paisley shirts and got, mamas um, and papas on the... Brazil 69 on the... Wow. Was it, was it 69 or is that know. just me thinking I that think era? Maybe <laughs> I don't know. I'm not very good with stuff like that. Bit, but back rack, and mum, all that. Mamas and papas is way later than that, I Yeah, think, but no, actually. it's the same era. It was party time at Vinyl. the Kennedy household in Bourne. And uh, we shake were the... Shake Did you have a shake pile carpet? Yes, we did in the den. Did you have plastic sofas as well? Well, we the had a leather look. We had a leather chair, only one. Fancy. <laughs> that was dad's. And that was dad's. That was dad's, and it had the um, cigarette burn marks because he'd oh. fall asleep with the soft Kent. That was his cigarette. Yeah. He'd fall asleep in the chair, and there was just burn holes <laughs> in the arm, <laughs> in the armrest. We got that's oh, wow. dad's chair. So there was it's drinking, there was smoking, there yeah. was shagpole carpet. It was small, what is... Small children serving dinner. Correct. Life is good. Life is good. And what, were the, what was the food? Okay, so the starter was seafood crepe. Wow. Now, even to make a crepe in those days, I really had perfected it and managed to get that. Um, I recall now the seafood was the shrimp and I'm pretty sure it was in a tin. It was the very small one, but it was with a cheesy sauce. A little bit of uh, parsley. Did you make the cheesy sauce? Oh, yes. So you made like a bechamel. I knew how to make a bechamel from a very early age. You folded the seafood through it. You made your crepes. You filled them. Yeah. And and we also, on a hot plate, hot plates, we served them. Then the main course was veal with peeled grapes and a cream sauce. And we had to peel all these grapes. Take the seeds out. Yep. You can hook them out with a little... um, I didn't know that then. What do you call them? A little... Um, a crochet hook? No. <laughs> that would be handy. It'd probably work be. better. But a uh, paper clip. Of course. Of course. <laughs> now you'll tell me. <laughs> we so used to do a stupid dish. You know, the only reason I know that is because there is a classic French dish and it was one of the first dishes I cooked when I was a student mm-hmm. at college called uh, filet de sole Veronique, I think. Mm-hmm. Everybody at home is looking it up now and goes, yeah. it's got no grapes in it. But it had chilled, peeled grapes with no <gasps> seeds in it. And I remember as this clumsy kind of 17-year-old, <laughs> you know, with fat fingers trying to get... <laughs> Pips out it's of a grapes. bizarre thing. And just going, this is ridiculous. It looks very pretty. And actually, it they taste pretty. really nice. It does. And they're t- soft. It, it and is when they're chilled, nice. they go perfectly with soft fish and, well, that and was, champagne sauce. And we used to cook it not on the stove, but in mum's sunbeam um, electric yeah. fry pan. Wow. We did Dessert? That. It was a cherry cheesecake. Okay. Um, and I didn't think that was caught on blur, but maybe mum See, now I understand. So then when you went to your friend's house, your Italian friend's house at 12... The idea of pepper stewed in oh, olive oil. I was inspired. With anchovies and capers and totally fresh inspired. bread. So have you always cooked? Yes. Or did it? Is it something that you remember, no. say, in that instance where it's slightly comical? And I've got similar stories. I remember. And the only way, the reason you're describing that, see, I was born in 67 and I remember those 70s parties with my mum and dad. And the only reason I asked about the shag bar carpet <laughs> and the plastic settees is that's what you we knew had. You had. You had. And the, the house thing. was just full of smoke because yeah. everyone was smoking. Everyone smoked. Everyone went to bed late. You know, everyone drove home. Trying to be James drunk. Bond. Yeah, with no seatbelts. No. Brilliant. Um, another, t- uh, probably. Not a, not a very litigious time. No. In, in our history. It was, Although this was in It was Brit- a very lucky time. This yeah, is what I'm different. thinking now in hindsight when I think about Dad's uh, catchphrase at the end of a dinner party night was, how about you have one for the road? Yeah. Yeah, now so that's really great, isn't it? You're encouraging it? drinking. One for the road. Yeah. Well, actually, even when I, you know, when I turned 18, I remember going to the pub and we'd all been going to the pub before we were 18, of course, but I remember that two and a half pints or two pints was the rule <laughs> of thumb mm. and you could still drive. Right. I'd fall off my chair now, <laughs> two and a half pints. I, I can't coordinate anything. I am it's seriously ridiculous. a one pot screamer. Yeah. So I just I just hardly ever drive. Another thing I think that I realised as I was driving in here today, I, I remember we lived in the States uh, for quite a significant time when in 1971, I was seven years old and uh, I turned seven and uh, my father worked for the Ford Motor Company. And he was in public relations. And as I think about it, what a fantastic opportunity he had uh, and mum and dad had as a young couple. He was sent every Ford head office in the world just to get a bit of a taste and be indoctrinated with the Ford Motor Company, you know, Mm. indoctrination really. And uh, so we spent a long time in Dearborn, Michigan. And 
being a kid there with food in America at that, every, everything was colossal and big and sparkly. And my seventh birthday party was at an ice cream parlor that was a very famous one. And the ice cream came out about everything's over the top. So it was like 60 yeah. scoops in a big champagne tub. And I had American kids there and it was, we've got um, Super 8 footage of it. Amazing. So my eyes were opened up. So we went through the States, Chicago, uh, went to the UK, Amsterdam, Copenhagen, Sweden. That's where I got a taste for food and travel at a very early age. Mm. So that was a great opportunity. So cemented. But you didn't end up doing anything ridiculous like becoming a chef or going into hotel management or going to the... You, you know, know what? I probably would have, but this is what disappoints me when I think back on my school. When I, you know, I was, I was a pretty good student, but I was a bit lazy and I, I think all I wanted to do was be an entertainer of some sort. Yeah. But when I said what my interests were, which included food, you know, imagine I could have been a great sommelier or, <laughs> or in the wine industry. Now kids are going into that and it's an option. I've got sons doing food technology now in high school yeah. where it wasn't happening years ago. Yeah, so. well, there's all sorts of, you know, I mean, we, we did a podcast with Two Birds Brewing, you know, which right. is over in Spotswood. Yeah. So, you know, brewers. And I've said to my daughter, you know, fancy being a brewer. I mean, it, no one it's, would have ever, ever said that of course not. to me. I was directed nice. to Melbourne University. But I, I was reading in the in a little bit of our research, which, which <laughs> uh, at fifteen, um, you you dressed up and were on TV as uh, Dennis Roussos. Yes, and there you it all started. Is that where it all started? Probably on Hey Hey It's Saturday. How's a fifteen-year-old girl? Do you do you <laughs> do you become Dennis Roussos? Because for anybody that doesn't know, he was a really big yeah. man. Well, Mum that wore these a Greek man that was very hairy, bearded, and yes. he's a good caricature, I suppose, isn't he? I had no, like, like I was not a girl thing. who liked being pretty or doing anything like that. My girlfriends and I were really like brown cords, v-neck jumpers. No, we were not into fashion. We were pretty, we were into comedy, to be honest. We all dressed up as Kiss to do school concerts. We, we had far more sort of um, testosterone in us, <laughs> I think, than most girls would at the time. And what was the comedy appeal? Oh, so this was obviously something that was grow, a growing natural up in the house. progression. Yes, watching Benny Hill, Dave Allen, yeah, the goodies. See, there's a comedian that could sit there and entertain everybody with a drink. That's what I loved, and just it. dark, a chair, yeah, a drink, and, tell jokes. and a cigarette. I think, and a cigarette, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and great jokes, and very funny jokes. So that's the world I grew up in. Watching so you Monty loved Python, that. yes, Billy Colony, absolutely, that, that and era. Pamela, and in fact, not the nine o'clock news. <clears throat> Pamela Stevenson. Stevenson. Pamela Stevenson I oh, so Anderson is a different one. Yes. There's something different going She's on there Julian's, about that woman. She's Julian's, remember? Yeah. <laughs> but when I saw Pamela Stevenson on Not the Nine O'Clock News, I thought, oh, I like what she's doing. And that's how it started. Yes. You played guitar. You're yes. an entertainer generally. A show-off. A show-off. A child show-off. <laughs> <laughs> Are there one of those moments where you've, I don't know, you've got the whole troupe, the family, and you, you're making an idiot of yourself? I couldn't be more disappointed in my children. Because why? Oh, I've got four boys. I've got a boy band <laughs> just sitting there. And and at Christmas time, all I wanted was for them to sit and sing Hallelujah. Yeah. And they all looked at me and they just said, lame ass. Yeah. And I went, that's not good. They said, Mum, just stop now. It's not happening. So they do other things. They're interested in other things. <laughs> what are they like? Well, food is a very important part of my boys' <laughs> and my family's life. Yeah, but boys, how old are they? Uh, there are 12-year-old twins, uh, then a 15-year-old right. and a 16-year-old. So they're year just old. fridge emptiers, basically, aren't they? 100%. Fridge and pantry emptiers. They can all cook, and okay. I've encouraged it very much so. I said, if you want to impress a chick... Cook. Come over here, I'm going to show you how to make scrambled eggs. And they can do it. Yes. It's an important lesson to pass on, and it's very things have changed enormously, particularly in the last, I reckon, fifteen years. Mm. Whereas it's, it's accelerated, and now kids aren't, especially boys, mm. aren't embarrassed about cooking. Absolutely Where not. I, I was a little embarrassed about cooking, like when I went to college. Isn't that terrible? Yeah, ridiculous remember, now. And remember. look at you all; you're all rock stars. Oh, for a short, <laughs> for a moment in time. Well, it's lasted pretty long, Gary. There's, there's some saying about once you celebrate, and I can never get the quote right, but some Roman. Oh, yeah, yeah. About once you start Milestones? celebrating cooks, 
oh. and chefs, then society essentially <laughs> collapses. So it's it's coming. Well, so far, so good. No, it's it's coming. Really? Yeah. So if we if we stay on entertainment, if we stay on your career for a for a little while, what was the first big break? The first big break probably was um, meeting up really with uh, the boys that I work with today, uh, with Tom Gleisner and with Santo and Rob, who is my partner in life. Yep. Um, I was working at Triple M radio station as a newsreader and uh, they needed a girl's voice. It's pretty much like that uh, because it was a whole bunch of guys. It's Monty Python, but without the chick. <laughs> <laughs> and um, came along, got on great with them. So that was uh, late 80s. And uh, since then, that, that really was Was that, was that? I can't remember. That was drive time? We did it, breakfast, breakfast, actually, yes. Yeah. And we did breakfast for quite a few years. I can't remember a lot of my 20s, not because we were partying hard, but because it just isn't right to do breakfast radio in your 20s because you're in bed by yeah. eight You've got to be hard up. Work. So it's hard work and you're whacked on the weekends. And so, yes, that's sort of bypassed me. Memories of that period, strange. And some incredible um, achievements within Working Dog over the years. What are your proudest? The only reason I was thinking of that yeah. was First Man on the Moon and The Dish. Which, oh, yes. You know, that was a, yeah. it was a Working Dog production, wasn't it? It was. And then I thought, well, how old were you when the first man landed on the moon? See how my brain is just a oh, weird. I know your brain it? is. I've I was the dish celebration <laughs> of the first man on the moon. I was five years old. Do you remember it? I do because uh, I watched it at home with mum and dad, and uh, in fact, um, some of the actors, one of the actors, Kevin Harrington, who's in the dish, he and Rob Sitch worked out um, when we were filming the dish in parks, and we're going, oh, we're we're asking everybody where they were the day that. The land moon landing was, and Ken said, oh, "I was in my classroom in Footscray at this school." But Rob goes, "Hang on a minute, that's where I was." They worked out they went to the same school. They were in the same hall, watching it watching at the it. same time. Yeah, together. Incredible, amazing. And do you bad. and do you watch the footage now and go, maybe it isn't a studio? <laughs> <laughs> I still get goosebumps when I hear audio of that. And not so much the that's one. Smile, yeah. stab, not that bit. All the lead up to it, all the yeah. dialogue that's going on. I still think it's amazing that they spoke with Richard Nickerson, who was in the president's office to the moon. Yeah. How did they do that? Because they're in a studio in... Oh, you're a conspiracy No, I'm not, not at all. No, no, ridiculous. No, absolutely No, it's not. incredible even but though incredible. When, we, when Mick and I interview people on Kennedy Malloy, we were, we were talking with Jim Jeffries in LA and it's like, hello, 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 hello. Yeah. We can't even do that now. And they were talking the to Neil Armstrong. That's or right. Buzz Aldrin. That's right. No incredible times. So fast forward now yep. and you're back on radio after yes. a long stint. So with Working Dog, you, and correct me if I'm wrong, spent a long time behind the scenes. That's true. So um, producing, yep. directing, story writing. Um, that's right. Um, and then, um, so I did, uh, we did Frontline, the television series, yep. and that was sort of my last on-camera years ago, sort of, and we were directing, writing, acting in that. That was great time. And then children came along and um, I was made the decision to pull myself out of things and, and be mum, which we were lucky we were able to do. Yeah. Uh, I was still had my finger in a few pies and I was able to work from home, particularly casting. That's my thing and love it. Uh, and I didn't need to go in daily to an office to do that. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, uh, my boys, the uh, uh, youngest, were in primary school and Mick came up, we were at a boozy lunch, like a charity lunch, and we we're probably pretty boozed. In fact, I know we were, but we we're having a good old chat. And he said, um, look, I've done breakfast radio for nine years and I've got twin boys and I really want to see more of them. I said, that's funny. I really want to see less of my children. <laughs> and he said, well, what about we do a drive show together because that would allow me to see my boys more if I'm doing drive and you see your children less after school and I'm going, now you're talking. And uh, that was how that came about, uh, together. And Mick and I and Rob, we'd all been friends continually for nearly 30 years now. Yeah. And uh, we, you know, Mick and I always got on well and enjoyed each other's company and we thought, let's see, let's give it a bash. 
And what's it like being thrust back into the the limelight? I love. Well, I love back on Instagram and oh that side of things. I, I quite like because I'm very tech savvy, even if I do say so myself. And I can say that because Mick is not. He's a luddite, and I am just can't get enough of you know hooking things up and putting microphones together. I love running. I do all the AV for my friends and, you know, if they need help. And what's it like working with Mick? Oh, it's fantastic. It's fa- It's draining and frustrating oh. because he is scurrilous 100% of the time. And he really makes me laugh, genuinely makes me laugh. Well, I was a little, I de- I'll great. be honest with you, I was a little devastated because I listened to Triple M in the morning, listened to the boys on the way oh, to work yes, every day. Oh, yes, left. So when he left, I went, well, that's not good. So wow. then I had to start listening to you two as I was driving home. Oh. And so I, you know, and I started a big right, fan going of the show. Right. Yeah, big fan of the show, love great. it. Great, thank and it, you. But it's nice, isn't it, when you, you, radio is one of those ruthless things where they'll, they'll cut and move and change Ooh, and yeah. people hop. TV's the same, people hop channels, et cetera, and then all of a sudden you go, well, that doesn't quite work. But surely then you know when casting's Well, I think, right. yes, and, and I think I felt, um, you know, I, uh, radio opportunities are very interesting and come up uh, for people in different ways. And I think because of reality television, we've had a lot more. So there's always been a lack of girls, women on radio, and we've got to try and find ways for them to come through the ranks and and it's you know it's difficult but we've got amazing women in radio now yeah and i knew that i had experience <clears throat> in the past but i feel like i've got my chops back now <laughs> um working with mick you know it's like thrown in the deep end but it's a good relationship and it's it shows a great relationship there are so many things gary that mick says to me don't ever ask me about that <laughs> i said really goes no just don't bring that up. So you don't? I don't. There's so, many qualities about Mick that I love. Um, uh, his frustrating ones is his lack of technology and... Um, is he late know, all the time? Is no, he a, no. Matt, you know, Matt Preston, for example, not many people know this, he is what he describes as not a prisoner of time, which means he just turns up when... Oh, he turns I up, I can't which deal is with that. frustrating. As very so frustrating. Very frustrating because no. George and I are the most, you know, timely people. Because Always fifteen minutes early. You are chefs, we and have you to be. know we're organized. And you're organized, ready to go. And he can't do that. Where Matt just saunters in, you know, <laughs> flicks his hair, Matt and saunter, pops on a stripy yes. suit, and <laughs> <laughs> off he goes. Sits in a makeup chair for an hour. Mick is uh, on time, yes, but he's uh, things like he'll say, like a miracle. He'd say, um, oh. How do we find out um, what age that person started performing something? And I go, I pick up my phone and go, um, I'll just Google it. And he goes, is it that quick? Like, basically is... Yeah. You don't have to go to the Encyclopedia Britannica anymore. No, or the Funk and Wagnall, as we have <laughs> at home. <laughs> I like it. So have you settled back into it? You, yes, I have. You're loving it? I'm loving the... I love the two hours on air. It's the preparation before and getting life in order before that. The two hours on radio are fantastic. And I'll bring it back to food and cooking. This is one of the things that I find, though. I come home and I cook for seven people. And that's how I'm always amused when I find, oh, what's the challenge? <gasps> We've got to serve dinner for six. <laughs> I do that every day. Um, and all different tastes. So know? is that what you're doing? What's your secret of a, a happy family meal? Well, I mean, do you cook? You know, do you cook seven different meals? Are you pretty want... much, I cook about three different meals. Oh, you're you're good. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, just, I just serve up. You eat it, or you starve. I do because I house. want them to eat, and I want them to, you know, not eat rubbish afterwards. And I'm hungry, so I just modify things. I did do a book, one dish, two ways. And I still stick to that um, modicum with my family. I do a basic. If I do a bolognese, I will uh, save half of it, and I will add chili and spice. And maybe I won't serve it on pasta for Rob and I. I might do it a different way, but for the kids, I'll do it another way. That's a good idea. Um, and that was sort of been a philosophy that I still stick to. Not everybody wants taco like they like the taco meat. Not everybody wants the shell. So I do the. Burritos or the, you know. Do you do build your own? I, I, yes. st- I chuck stuff on the bench. Build your own, And yes. then I go, whatever you want to put in it. Very much so. Put in it. 
And I always have, I learned from very, when Jenna was very young or younger, now mm. she loves things like chili and mm. spice and things that taste different. Mm. But I ended up with a condiment uh, shelf that started to pollinate through itself That's through the, the fridge so that I'd cook something fairly plain and put bottles and jars and sauces and things that yep. people could just like, you know, well, stick on to make things good. interesting. We're on, that, we're on that road as well. Jane, I have a very small family unit. There's just the three of us. You know, we have a very quiet How house. lovely. I know. And when we visit friends with lots of children. Do you get uptight? Like you. We do. <laughs> we get stressed. I could, ima- I could only imagine. Stressed. No, all of us get stressed. Must be so Like even my daughter goes. Lovely. My daughter down. says to me, now, can we go now, Dad? <laughs> And we I go, don't blame and we go her. back to because we've we've and actually I think what she realizes now that she's grown up in a very kind of sophisticated quiet uh, environment where we yes. we go to the fanciest restaurants and we don't have children like stabbing forks into dinner tables. Oh. What does your family table look like with that big family of yours? Okay, well, and all those boys—they're all growing too. They're big and they're tall, and I'm <laughs> shrinking. <laughs> I. Family dinners and just so noisy. That's all I can say. It's everybody speaks at the one time. Um, look, we even say at, when we got to wait for your mother to eat, you know, we all sit down and we go, don't start any of your food. It's quite uptight. Yeah, it's I have to say. A little chaotic. <laughs> because they're teenagers and they riff, you know, boys always want to riff with each other. And my daughter is like, mum. You know, the eye rolling is just, whoa. I don't know if her eyes could go any further back in her head. So we even, sometimes I've even thought, I think we should say a prayer just to sort of bring the calmness. Yeah. We don't, but we do sort of have a let's wait for mum. We sit down and we go, all right, everybody, let's proceed. (laughs) Mind kick. What about this? What about that? I'm going to say that. That sucks. And in the end, I think Rob and I just keep looking at each other going, only five minutes and they'll be gone. <laughs> and they are. Five minutes. They go, hoover it. And, and they go, may we please leave the table? Yes. But that's still nice that that happens. Do you have rules like turn the telly off and everybody sit down? No, Is we that... have MasterChef on the back. Oh, do you? Yes, we did oh. it last night. Oh, MasterChef okay. was on. Um, we might, they might flick over to The Simpsons or something like that. There's a line in The Castle, which was one of our films, and I think Daryl is uh, – no, Dale Kerrigan is uh, narrating and he says – at dinner time, there's only one rule. The TV is always turned down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's our household. You know, whenever my uh, in-laws came over, um, <laughs> you know, so I'm talking brothers, brother, brothers-in-laws. Is your wife Australian no, or English? English so yeah. all of our family yeah. are from the UK, they all had to sit through the castle. <laughs> really only to get to those classic lines of, what do you call this love? Oh, know. You know those ones? I love that one. You know where he goes, oh. what do you call this love? And it's sponge cake. Well, that's right. Goes, that's what you do with it. It's 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 sprinkle icing sugar <laughs> on top. But that's, I, look, you know, happy to say <laughs> Rob is very... Very uh, complimentary about my cooking and is pretty Daryl Kerrigan-ish every night. Yeah, so what do you call this, love? It does. Rissoles. He goes, oh, but it's how you cook the roast chicken. <laughs> what did you do with it? <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. So talking about a, that illustrious entertainment uh, career or that career in entertainment, what's the secret, do you think? Well, I think the secret to longevity is never do anything for money uh, and never put things out first, second, third draft. Everything that the guys have ever written, draft after draft after draft, never feel pressure to get something out now because it will please other people. Do it when it's ready, when you think it's ready and work with a team and that has been the secret. And I think you'll you'll understand that because you're a team uh, with you boys doing MasterChef and so the highs are really good and the lows are really good because you're all together. Yeah. That's a lovely way of putting it. And I like that idea of uh, there's some perfectionism in there and not there, being there and not feeling the pressure of yeah. doing it at someone else's um, yeah. you know, mm. call, which is great. I'll carry that lesson okay, forward. Okay, well, oh, that's a good I'll idea. Remind <laughs> everybody that. You're welcome. I love making this series and I hope that you love listening too. If you do, subscribe and send us a message because believe it or not, we actually read those messages. What we want to know is what you think about the show, more importantly about the conversations that we have with our guests. We love hearing from you. That's what I'm trying to say. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One Australia or wherever you listen. And if you're feeling like it, maybe even recommend the show to a friend. You never know, they might find it as delicious as you do.
So what's your favorite cuisine? What do you love? What do you, you know, if oh. you're traveling, what you you love holidays in Australia or you go overseas, yes. you've got a favorite? I do, and it's Greek cuisine. You like Greek food. So it really should be George sitting here. Doesn't talking need about to be George. And olive oil. I've sp- I've spoken with George a lot about food, Greek food in particular, and we've spent um, we have spent a very very long time in Greece as a family. Uh, we've probably been to f- over thirty islands now. Oh my goodness! And what do you love about it so much? Apart from the climate, it's the um, simplicity of Greek lifestyle and island life and food. And I just think it's delicious and we would have a Greek salad every night and I love the fact that every island has a different way to serve a Greek salad, different type of cheese, some put bread with it, some put, you know, peppers with it, things like that. Um, I love the simplicity of how the meat is grilled and the fish. I cook octopus, we get an octopus leg and people that sounds so ridiculous. And I said, no, just put it on the barbecue and just let it leave it there. It's like doing a steak. I think it's delicious and easy. I love the herbs that go with Greek food. And I think it's really healthy. So what's a, if you, so in terms of, say, the best meal you've ever eaten in your life, is mm. it because of the place or the food or a combination of people, place and food? Maybe I have to go back to my days when I could go to and spent money on Michelin star before kids. Yep. Because I wouldn't do that now because school fees. <laughs> I feel like, what am I doing? It costs so much money. Plus it's too heavy. I feel like I'm, I've morphed officially into my parents, but yeah. I find... Just keep going. Oh, that was rich. Degestation food yep. too much. Maybe in the old days, like an Alain Ducasse restaurant or something in Paris, a real treat restaurant. Yeah, I think I just went... See, for me, it doesn't. I I can eat the the cheapest street food, mm. and it can be the best yes experience ever. Yeah. In fact, you know, when George, Matt, and I as foodies, you know, we uh, we've eaten in some of the best restaurants in the world, and yet some of they can be some of the most impersonal and irrelevant. That's right. Well, it's just made me think of probably the most delicious meal I've had and savoured and would have it for lunch today is in Bali, uh, in Ubud. And it's a, a baba guling, so it's um, the suckling pig. Yeah. And you have to queue up, and you've got to get there early. And you walk past, and you just, and the dish is ten bucks, and you get a cold beer as well, and you sit almost on the floor. It's so low, and it comes out in this crazy basket, and it's the beautiful succulent meat and the crispy skin gizzards. I think have tossed yeah. in there, bit of rice bit of cucumber, squeeze of lime, bam. Heaven. So yeah. that their memory, and plus you remember, it's it's hot and humid and you're on holiday and it feels good. Yeah. And they're the experiences that I love. I think we, we had uh, tacos in a car park in LA. Yeah. Um, I love that. And we were just fascinated, number one, about how many people were just gravitating to, it was quite a dangerous area, to be yeah. honest, how many people were just gravitating into Don't worry, this take car park. Oh, he's, he'll be on the, I think no, Matt would be, I just hope oh, Matt, <laughs> speak, speak to him, yeah. he's six foot five. No, there were all sorts of crazy people walking yeah. around the street, but people didn't care. They were just, you know, cruising in, getting out and paying, you know, not even five bucks for... You know, I love it when people get right. Get it right. Dishes, yeah. We went to a, another memorable meal. I saw a documentary on the best steak in the world, and ended up being in Spain, northern Spain. Right. It was a cattle ranch where they specialise in uh, cows that are cattle that are uh, the youngest they slaughter is thirteen years. So he loves them animals, and really they have a really long, happy, long life. Yep. And then it's over and it's really off the beaten track and it's in a cave and you go in and they just serve you, pick your piece and then they do it um, different ways for, you know. Yeah. A beef tartare to start and then they cook it up and it's... How did you feel about that? Just out of curiosity because that's an interesting thing you said there, eating a 13-year-old animal. Because most people don't realise that most of the beef they buy in the supermarket wouldn't even be a year old. One year old. I feel that it's had a nice, happy life, so but I feel better. you didn't think about it when you were eating it? You weren't kind of going, does this taste different or strange? No, I thought this is an unusual concept. And, yeah, yeah no, I, I, I liked that. I liked that they'd lived a great life. 
he, he gets them from all over Spain and he brings them to his farm and they just chow down and eat grass and yeah. live for a long time. See, I think that's brilliant. See, some of the oldest beef that you might find in a restaurant that's really focusing on that kind of provenance yeah. and, you know, food security and all that sort of stuff might be six years old. Wow. And people go, wow, six <laughs> oh, years yeah. old. No, because this is there's, nuts. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it seems, you know... Um, almost not right, but then you look at the, an industry that's struggling with, you know, well, you then you look at dairy cows and veal. Bobby veal and all Ugh. this, you know, it's not, not very nice. No. How do you feel about all that? You know, especially with young kids, because yeah. the world's changing, isn't it? I would say that my attitudes are changing. And in fact, if I could turn around and be vegetarian, I probably would for humane reasons. Yep. And uh, I think as I've just been away traveling with my son to Uganda. We went to see the mountain gorillas and um, they're herbivores. Yep. I'm going, so if these big dudes, Muscular. so yep. healthy, their, their fur is shiny. I could see their nails, their teeth white. There's got to be something in it. And I know that I could make things taste really good as well. Yep. There's the fallacy that vegetarian food can't be delicious and yep. it can be. But, yeah, I think on humanitarian grounds, I can probably see myself ending up being vegetarian, to yeah. be honest. What would you like to see happen in the future, if that's how you feel now? Because oh, you can change. If you go you to can. India, by the way, yes. get the best vegetarian of food course. on the planet and you go flavour, it's not even on the radar. Right. Like of it's course. flavour plus. Well, I think the um, animal export <clears throat> industry is just hideous and, and the... Uh, in fact, we were driving along, we saw even the other day with the kids and I just saw a big truck with a whole bunch of cows in it mm. and they looked young and I thought, oh, God, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, you just got to go to work on the Monash <laughs> and you see them going backwards and forwards. Absolutely. So, it's um, yeah. a bit, oh, yeah. But some people see that as just the reality of, you know, feeding a population. Well, I, ha I, have no, I have no problem with uh, hunters who need food and, and who use one beast if they, you know... Uh, Use it. Mm. Everything. Yeah. Nose to tail. Yeah. Kind of so I'm I'm interested in that. I'm interested in that sort of the survival mode of food and meat. Yeah. But we don't need that because we're surviving okay. We've got plenty of food. But we also eat less variety than we ever have. So if you look, That's if, you interesting. Go to, if you go to the supermarket, what do, what do you reckon sells? Skinless chicken breast. That's you know probably the biggest seller. And, it's, and, and, the, and if you try and find, say, ox tongue or oxtail or lamb's liver, lamb's brains, all the things Forget that people, it. you know, foodies that are listening to this going, yum. But <laughs> yes. anybody else is going, oh, and they just don't sell. Can't buy, you can buy lamb's liver for like two bucks, but nobody eats it, so they don't wow. sell it. As you've got older, yes. have, you, have you, like those opinions, mm. have your opinions got stronger? You know, do you feel, uh, are you fed up with social media or you're fed up with... Oh, yes, I'm outraged. I think I say once a week, I hate everyone. <laughs> it doesn't sound <laughs> They're like nice. the people that are posting on it, right? <laughs> it's not them. It's just, <laughs> what is wrong with people? That's how I feel a lot. So, so what is wrong with people? I think, you see, I start thinking it's just me, right? I'm oh, really? Do you feel I'm like that? No, I, I'm genuinely becoming really grumpy. Like my, 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 I am too. My wife's going... That's oh, enough. That's <laughs> enough. You can stop being grumpy. I get grumpy oh. with all sorts of stuff. And social media at the moment, I, I just think there's a... Because I've got an 18-year-old daughter, obviously. Yes, my, my daughter's 18 too, so I'm conscious of that. And I look at that and the struggle of that and adapting to that, and I don't <laughs> see a very positive outcome. And so I'm getting really grumpy about all that stuff. But I'm part of it. You know, I've, I've got you know a lot of followers and I post all sorts of rubbish that really nobody should care about, but they do. But your posts are not rubbish and they're what you do and there's there's truth in them. So you're not, and it's organic, so you're doing it and you're living it, you're doing something. What I can't stand is the fake life world, the fake fun brigade. Mm. What you mean, looking gorgeous, not being boom bar, but looking, is that what you mean? So six-pack, living the life, is that what you mean? Yes, and the um, the humble brag... Is really, I mean, look, I, I, my friends will call me out, or one of my kids will. They go, "Mum, humble brag much," and that's please translate. <laughs> it's when you put something on like, "Oh, this is this is what I've seen." What makes me feel a bit sick when I see um somebody's posted something, and they're obviously sitting in first class, and yeah. there's a movie on the screen, but they've got their airline ticket with one A, and a glass of champagne, and they've got the movie, and they go. Great, haven't seen this movie, can't wait to see it. And yeah. it's so clear. And you want to say, 
You go, want to say go away, F but off. <laughs> go away, but oh more wow, you're still oh you're in first class. Whoopie do. So um, how does that make you feel about um, the the world that your kids are growing up in then? What do you think that they can expect in in ten or twenty years time? Um, they're a pretty tough bunch because they're around parents who are on. I mean, Rob wrote and is directed and acted in Utopia, yeah. which is a series that dissects this very mm. issue. I was going to go there, but now you've brought it up. Well, they're very, they're they're quite astute and they hear a lot of issues discussed between Rob and I in the house a lot. So they're onto things. Yeah. Um, And uh, uh, one of the lucky things we feel is that we're we're all together. We're all bunched up. We're all around each other all the time, whether it's good or bad, but we're we're trying to enforce a a safe haven for for our kids Mm. without getting rose-coloured glasses or... You know, Enid Blyton about it. Yeah, it's it's we're around. If you've got problems, if you've got issues, this might be intimidating. This might be weird, but we're around. Talk to us. Yeah, or don't talk to us. We're here. It's difficult, isn't it? See, I, I'll have the same conversation with my daughter, and then she goes, "Yeah, you know, I get that." And mm. you know, Dad, I don't do that. And then the next minute, she's on Snapchat. Right. Yeah. All and right. got her head in in the phone for another hour. <laughs> but then I do exactly the same. <laughs> like I, I'm yeah. I'm because MasterChef is on. You know, now uh, yes. well, it won't be when somebody's listening to this, but when yes. it's on, I'm you know posting stuff. I go, oh yeah, I've got to post because. But that's part of your responsibility, I guess, and your work. And I do ask how yeah. important it is, though. I do ask myself um, if I didn't do it. So, for example, you know, um, Waleed from the project is not on social media. I don't think it affects. Um, Either is his Rob. He's not standing. He's so never, I. But but what do you think about Instagram taking the likes off? Because my daughter and my kids go, well, what's the point? Well, apparently it's destroying a whole industry of influencers who rely I, on it. Just wait. There's, I don't believe it's for altruistic reasons. Of course not. Instagram, Facebook. Mm. I think it, it'll you wait for the next step. Yeah. Wait for the next monetary, financial thing that's going to happen with it. Yeah. So I actually look at it and I go, why is that good? Like, why am I, why am I involved in it when I, I'm not sure if it's good? It creates all sorts of... It, it's that saying of, you know, comparison is the death of all joy. And so <laughs> what, what you're doing is you're looking at yourself and other people's lives and you're constantly judging what you do against others. And I, I, and I genuinely worry about how that's going to manifest itself. And also the fact that when the, all of our headlines now are very hateful, you know, so you look at the very news. Very hateful. And, you know, disgraceful, disgusting, terrible, shocking. So that's how we're drawn into reading the news. And I the find clickbait that... clickbait world. Yeah, yeah. Well... I'm prodding you. I'm trying to see how you feel about it. I, uh, well, I, well, this is what I've decided quite a while ago is I've lowered the bar on everything. So I say to everyone and even the kids, I go, I think your expectation's too high. It's too mm. much pressure on yourself. You have to back it off. It's just, it's not about winning. It's not about smashing it and conquering all the time. It's just take a step back. Yeah. And uh, that's how I sort of try and look at it. It's very zen. That's very kind of, isn't it? Zen and me have never been joined. So I'm very happy you think that. So you're trying to pass it on. I'm trying. Don't don't do as I do, but do as (laughs) I say. I'm trying with it. (laughs) I'll do that. Okay. So what's, what's the future hold for you, do you think? Uh, I think the future is to um, continue enjoying and working on uh, doing the radio show, which I love with Mick. Mm. Uh, continue to live with a family with, I've got five teenagers, all in high school, to get through that so in a calm, that. survived way. Yeah. Continue to travel, which I love doing. Yeah. Where do you want to go? Where's on the, what's on the list? Love, Greece. Keep um, going back. Trouble is when you keep going back to the same place, you miss all the other places that you should Well, that's to. why we have travelled a lot in Greece. So we tried uh, different islands last mm. year. We went to Antiparos and uh, we went with, as, on a family holiday. There was 14 of us, all one family and cousins and everything. And I thought, that's not going to be a holiday if I'm cooking. So I inquired and we found a local lady who lived in... The village. And she came and um, she couldn't speak a word of English. I couldn't speak Greek. And I just said, she was sort of looking at me, what will I call? I went, (laughs) Spanakopita. She went, yeah, okay. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) Sadziki, yeah. 
We don't worry. I got it all out. And you ate well. We ate great. <laughs> yes. Mm. So rewind the clock to the seventies when you. Yes, mom, I know. Mum was doing uh, seafood Ham crepes. Pineapple, yep. Um, which now I'm, beef. I'm going to have nightmares about. That seafood um, crepe, me yeah, too. Yeah, seafood crepes. It's that small, tiny orange shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> well, and t- yeah, tin shrimps and you know pi- uh, ham and pineapple and now you know four cookbooks. Yes. A successful career, international travel, Jane Kennedy. Wow. Oh, that Woman sounds, of the people. Yes. Sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> that sounds all right. Anyway, when I think I'll about plan- it, what am I complaining about? Yeah, exactly. What are you complaining about? Anyway, <laughs> exactly. I'll plan your in- next in trip. That would trip. be fantastic. Would be thank pleasure. you. And thank you so much for coming in and sharing You're a little so bit welcome. of your life. Appreciate it. Time for my tips and tricks. And let's call these secrets of entertaining or just feeding a big family. Now, having watched my mum run around in the kitchen when she did a dinner party and no one was allowed in, I'm the opposite. The kitchen is a go zone for all of your guests. And another secret is getting prepared before they come. So because of our beautiful climate in Australia, most of the time we're going to have cold dishes already done. So I'm talking salads and not lettuce and tomato. Think about a modern version of a textural, juicy, crunchy, delicious salad with lots of different things in. They can all be preset, ready to go. I'm also never afraid to ask friends and family to bring a plate. I mean, why not? Just lighten the load a little bit. Even if it's just to bring the bread or a couple of dips, it just helps out and reduces the stress. My other tip too is make one thing. As a cook, I get carried away. I think, you know what? I'm going to do lots of different dishes. Everybody's going to be really impressed. You know what? They don't really mind. They're coming to your house because they love you. So do one dish, either a slow roast, something on the barbie, in a big pot, something that will go into the middle of the table or onto that kitchen bench. And you know what? Serve yourself. Go sit down. Gets everybody involved. Great way to entertain. Great way to feed your family. A Plate to Call Home is a Podcast One production produced by Dave Zwolenski. Audio production is Darcy Thompson and special thanks to Imogen Thomas for all the research. Listener.